Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fuck nicks, what the fucksters, what the fuckeristas, what the fuckstables? All right, that's fucking enough. Sorry, kids. Sorry, parents. That's a lot of fucks in the first five or ten seconds of this show. It's full fucking on. I apologize. It's Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy my show. What have I got to tell you right out of the gate? Well, if you listen to that pre-show announcement, I think we answered everyone's questions. For those dates where I hit those amphitheaters where some of you thought I was playing myself, flattered, as I said, but not true, uh, it seems that the tickets for the Oddball Comedy and Curiosity Festival, uh, of which I will be part of on some of those dates, go on sale Saturday at LiveNation.com. So those would be the ones I'm on. Those would be the ones in Tampa and uh, all those other ones. Why, why don't you have your website up, man? Maybe that'd be helpful for people to listen to you say the things that you want them to go see and maybe be part of if you had the dates in front of you. Don't talk to me like that. Don't sass me. I'm just trying to help. Who the fuck are you? I'm you, asshole. All right, this has been fun. We should be a comedy team. All right, well, let's go to the calendar. Let's go to the calendar now. Tonight. I am in Bloomington, Indiana at the Comedy Attic. Tomorrow I'll be there too and Saturday. And then the oddball dates are Tampa, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia. Then I'm back in Charlotte at the Comedy Zone. And then I'm at Red Rocks in Denver for the oddball. Uh, I'll be at Mountain View, California, Irvine, Dallas, Houston, and Austin. So those all go on sale Saturday. That's my understanding at LiveNation.com. Glad we settled that. All right, today on the show, from the new film... And I don't say that too often, but you know him from a lot of things. But he is in uh, Think Like a Man 2. Uh, Romney Malco, maybe some of you know him from Think Like a Man, the first one, or some of you know him from 40-Year-Old Virgin. That's where I know him from. I ran into him on a plane, and I was like, you're that guy. He's like, holy shit, I love your show. And I'm like, you're on it. Let's do it. He's on the show today. And I'll tell you, man, I didn't know what to expect, but it was full on. It was a full on conversation about a lot of shit. I learned a lot about rap music that I didn't know I was going to learn. We learned a little bit about politics, a little bit about uh, the uh, the black man in politics, according to Romney Malco. We learned, uh, what else did we learn? We learned about acting. We learned about fishing. We learned about Trinidad. We learned about the Marines. I don't even, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything. I feel like I've spoiled a lot already. Great guy. Great talk. Coming up around the bend. That was a really out of tune 
um, opening riff to Up Around the Bend by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Thank you. Thank you to those who were able to identify that. I appreciate that. Another thing I want to mention is that my buddy Bill Sheft, he's a writer and he was the uh, he was a writer on Letterman for like 25 years. He used to do, uh, you know, there's an interesting story about Sheft and you'll hear that story on a future uh, WTF, but he's got a book that's dropping this week. It's called Shrink Thyself. It's a novel about getting rid of psychotherapy and living the unexamined life. You can get that at Amazon.com. You can get that now. That's Bill Sheff's book, and he will be on WTF soon. That was a great conversation. I'm trying to figure out whether or not I'm, I'm close enough to you guys to tell you this thing about my dick. I mean, I, and you because know, I'm not that kind of guy. You know, I don't. You know, I, I that's not really true. I mean, I've shared things about my dick before, but not so specifically. Let me let me think about it. Right now, I'd like to share with you uh, a little something because I, I, I'm, I, I'm telling you what I'm, gonna, I'm telling you what I'm doing right now. I'm breaking in a new pair of pants, and I know some of you who follow me know that that's a big deal. Breaking in some pants, and you're like, "What kind of pants, Mark?" Well, they're black jeans, classic black selvage jeans. Where'd you get those? Are those Emma Jean and Willie's? No, you know why? They're not because um, the pocket on the ass of my Emma Jean Willie's went out. You know, it blew out. I blew out the pocket from driving too hard on my walking and sitting on stools. From sitting on stools with my wallet in my back pocket. This is a stand-up related uh, wear and tear of my ass pocket and my jeans. My wallet kept falling out. Fell out on stage in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was incredibly distracting to a good deal of the audience. I lost about 10 minutes of good material because people were wondering when I would notice my wallet was on the floor. Can't have that happen. That's a professional liability to have a... Uh, uh, an ass pocket blowout where your wallet can fall out and and just capture the imaginations of an entire audience of adults. Can't have that happen too often. So I call Imogene and Willie. I email them. I say, what's up? You know, you guys are a special pant. You made these pants. What do, you gotta, what do I got to do to get uh, the blowout in my ass pocket fixed? They said, send them out here. Wash them first, please. Don't, don't sell us your stinky ball jeans. Wash them. And, uh, and we'll fix it in three, three to four weeks. Went like three to four weeks. I need to get this ass back up on a stool before then. <laughs> you can't have my pants up on the lift for that long. How long does it take to fix an ass pocket? So I decided to poke around the internet and I found, I look, I look up uh, Denim Repair Los Angeles. I figured there's got to be some specialty operation. And sure enough, I come up with this place called Schaefer's Garment Hotel. And I'm like, what up with that? Got some good Yelp reviews. This guy seems like a denim genius. So I go over there and I show them the uh, the blowout in my ass pocket on the Imogene Willies. We talk salvage for a little while and then I talk about Billy Gibbons and I turn him on to my show. This cat's a good cat. I think his name's Robert. He says, yeah, I can fix that blowout in your ass pocket probably inside 10 days. It's going to cost a little bit. How much could it cost? I don't buy much, folks. Let me get my ass pocket blowout fixed for, for what seems to be an exorbitant amount of money. Some of you are like, I would have sewn it myself. Yeah, but this guy's a specialist gotta give it to the doctors you know if you got a problem you go to a specialist so i gave it to robert over there at schaefer's garment hotel turns out he's making his own pants over there he's got some selvage denim jeans classic style he's got some uh, indigo denim he's got some classic black denim heavyweight black denim and i'm like holy fuck look at those i haven't seen those in a while he's like yeah we make them right here i get that denim from japan feel it i'm feeling it hell yeah bring it let's get some of them pants i didn't know you were making pants over here robert He's like, yeah, man, we make real pants. And he's got a guy that makes hats over there. He's got a couple of dogs that hang out and some guitars. How does all of a sudden the image that I've been sort of doing, you know, without knowing anything, 
There's a whole store for it. I, I'm not a hat guy, but I'm a guitar guy. Not a dog guy, but I can appreciate a dog in a store, especially one that sells denim and boots and shit. But I don't buy them like the unbroken, and these are fresh denims. They're stiff, and I'm in them right now, and I'm waiting for my ass pocket blowout to be fixed. So I'm going. I'm going out of town. I'll be at Bloomington showcasing my unbroken in black denim pants. Did I, I set up the dick thing? I should probably go into the dick thing. Is that okay? Kids, step out. So, you know, I had this woman over and I had minor tragedy in the bathroom. And it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a tough call what to do, but it was, okay, I have never had the type of STD that would create a sore on your schlong, on your junk, as the kids say. Never had a sore on my junk, okay? I never got that dirty or stuck my, my thing into the wrong place. So here's what I'm doing. All right, this, I don't know, this bathroom humor, literally, if it's even humor, it's just a story. I don't even know why I feel compelled to share it with you, but I seem to be in it. I seem to be doing it. Okay, all right, this is embarrassing, but why is that? It's never stopped me before. So I got this girl over, and I don't know her that well, and she's younger than me, and she's clean and, and pretty. And, uh, you know, sometimes smells are not to be shared until later. And sometimes you don't even want to let on that you do that, even though I talk about it. I, it was something I just had to stifle, stifle that. So I'm in the bathroom. I do my business. I figure I'll be polite. I'm going to light a match. So I had some wooden matches on the, um, on the back of the toilet there. So I'm sitting on the toilet. I light the match. I wave it out. And then I go to put the uh, match out in the toilet between my legs. And I stick the the smoldering ember of the tip of the match right on to the top of my dick. And I, I branded it. This was not a good situation. I had another day with this person. And now I've got something that is going to appear much like a shanker of some kind on the head of my my um my tool so now i got a cop to this i gotta walk out of the bathroom and go i just i just stuck a hot match onto my um onto my cock and uh, that's something you and i are gonna have to deal with and i'm 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 willing to to sort of write it out i'll be fine but i need you to know that's what that is so be careful i guess what i'm saying sometimes politeness can burn your dick it, is that the moral to extrapolate from that is that where we go from there I'm ashamed that I shared that story. It's going to be fine. It's getting better. Thank you for asking. Right now, I am I am more than pleased to uh, share with you now my conversation with Romney Malco. Uh, had a great time, and I had no idea I was going to have as good a time as I had. But he's a he's a live wire. He's a good. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say 
essay in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. I did this interview for this magazine. I'm not going to say their names because they don't, they don't deserve it. Uh-huh. But the, the headline that they choose, chose to use completely out of context. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? What was the headline? I'm like, then I just realized it's this lowest common denominator, man. Was, you know, they, they, they wrote apology, a letter of apology saying we were just trying to, you know, attract readers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like, what good's the apology? The shit is out there. Thank you. Right, you. I mean, you know, it's like, I appreciate you apologize, but could you now take it out of everyone's head? Thank you. I fucking agree. Exactly. <laughs> and then now I did this association with me being this way. I'm like, fuck these people. What way? Man. What happened? Come just, on. Oh, man. Just, what? There's, I don't know. You don't have to mention the magazine. What okay. was it? What, just, what? just uh, uh, just it, implying that somehow or the other, I had to get back to black people. Like, oh. the fuck? What do you mean? Get when back? the fuck did I ever leave? When did I stop being black? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so anyway, it was it was just it was hilarious and demeaning. Get back to black people. Uh, yeah, like what, what was that based on? Like, cause that, that interests me that when when somehow or another someone decides like you've you've turned your back on your black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like <laughs> me, me. T- Out of all people, of all, like, literally with my Tijuana Jackson and all this other stuff. And anyway, I just, I just laughed at it. But they, they were like, we were just trying to, you know, we realized it was a, a major oversight. We've corrected the issue. Blah blah blah. Well, we, we realized it's a major oversight. You're still, you're still black, and we're, it's okay. Literally, and I, you know, <laughs> I just from that point forward, I just like, okay, I just won't be fucking with these people. You know what I mean? Right. You know, I think because of the fact that I never really, I started in mainstream. Mm-hmm. Starting in mainstream. What um, does that mean? White? Um, you know what? <laughs> Wait, I mean, what? Well, I don't know because. What would you say the, the beginning? Like, it's a 40 year, 40 year old virgin was a big break for you. That was a huge break for me. 40 year old virgin. Is that was what a you break. would you consider the, that was when you were arrived? Um, where people knew you? Yeah. That's where I know you from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 but year old virgin. But you were around a long time before that. Yeah, I was around for a bit, you know, and I hadn't really been doing big stuff. Like, the, the things, I got to work with big, I got to work with, like, Vince Vaughn early in the game yeah. on a project called The Prime Gig. But where'd you come from? Let's go Let's go back, because I go back. Okay. I, I'm willing to go back with you. I know, dude. You... I, I, I'm a listener. I'm an avid listener, I know. <laughs> I'm prepared. I was, just, I was just talking to Ashley yeah. about, she's like, I was looking for the cats, and mm. I was talking to Ashley, and she was like- They're um, in the bedroom. I'll show you. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and I said, she said, they don't come out much, and I was like, well, I think they came out when Cranston was on. <laughs> They might have paid a visit. Well, I think it was when Cranston was on. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, well, he, uh, he, uh, well, he might have seen him. I'll show you the cats after. Okay. But what kind of name is Romney Malco? Um, it's a gypsy name. Is it really? Yeah. You Why? Know, Why uh, you get a gypsy name? Because you know my family's Trinidadian and Venezuelan, uh-huh. and in Trinidad we have a lot of East Indians, and in you know, I, I, I could be wrong about this, but just in Trinidad, being that, uh, you know. East Indian, the East Indian culture is so is so common. Yeah, my name isn't that far fetched. You know, right, what I mean? right, right. Um, like the probably the most spoken language in uh, Trinidad is Bengali, which is like a, a dialect of 
in, you know, in, uh, in, of Indian in, Indian dialect. You, have you spent time in Trinidad? Um, plenty. I went to school in Trinidad off and on as a I, kid. Oh my God! Yeah, so I have family from Venezuela, like Maracas in Venezuela, and then I have family from like San Fernando, Point Four Ten, all over the place, Los Ciro, all over the place in Trinidad. Uh huh. And um, you know, and my both my parents met in Brooklyn, but they were both Trinidadians. My mom came from uh, she came from Trinidad to uh, compete. She was Mrs. Trin- she she won Mrs. Universe. I mean, oh, really? she, no, she won Mrs. Trinidad and Tobago, and came here to compete. And my dad had come here because uh, University of New York University, NYU, yeah, NYU was very interested in my pops. For um, he he was uh, he was already an established surveyor and engineer. So the the it's a specific type of of background, but is it, it's not it's not mostly Spanish. It's a mix, right? It's a, it's probably yeah. It's like similar. I guess I had a place in Brazil, and I found Brazil to be very similar. You had to, a place in Brazil, yeah, I, I, on the northeast coast of 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 Bahia. Why did you just get a place in Brazil? You just felt like it. Um, you know what? One, it was I'm really into fishing. I'm yeah. I'm really into fishing, and I found the place that sat between these two huge this town that sat between two huge rivers, uh-huh. and right above a town called Recife, Recife R E C I. P-H-E or uh-huh. something like that. But Hesife sits right above, is, is the billfish capital of the world. Billfish. Yeah. So, you know. And that's a good fish? That's a good fish. It's you're like t- you're, you're talking like, you know, like I should know. <laughs> a billfish. Well, a billfish, right. it's a pretty prestigious game fish. And, you know, you see the ones, they have the big long thing on yeah, the front of them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's not like, a marlin. That's like a, a marlin. Like a marlin, yes. So it's like a marlin. Yes. So you're a game fisherman. I love game fishing. You go out on a boat and yeah. you wrestle the fish. Well, now I go out on a kayak. You got so you're stripping it down. You're getting primitive. Primitive. I like it. You even out the playing field when you do that. But aren't you talking about fish that are as big as a kayak? Yep, absolutely. You want to be pulled around. If you ain't being pulled around, you ain't really, you know. So you're out there with a kayak and a a fishing pole that Mm -hmm. that locks into your kayak, Mm -hmm. trying to catch fish that can pull your shit. Yep. That's right. Until and then you just wrestle it out until it gives up. What's well, dope? And then what do you do with the fish? Well, then it depends. So I'm a catch and release guy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Now I caught like a 40 pound uh, white sea bass, and his ass got ate. Where'd you get that? Oh yeah, well yeah, we, we, off the coast of Santa Barbara. A, a white sea bass off the coach, uh, coast, coast of, of Santa, Santa Barbara, Barbara right up here. Um, right Is up that here. Normal. Um, Are they? There's a season for them. There's a season for them, and you know, you, if you can, if you can get your line, there's a season where if you can get your line down past the barracuda, you you know, the sea bass are below them. Yeah. You know, because they're all feeding on like the bait. So fish. there's barracuda off of Santa Barbara. Oh man, I've caught so many barracuda off of how Santa big? Barbara. How big? My nerves. Anywhere, how many feet? How many feet? Three, three feet. Three feet. Three barracudas. Feet, all feet. Yeah. All teeth. All teeth. You, sometimes you can't get them in the boat because a mako shark will just eat that before you can get. Wait, you know. so you're pulling a barracuda in, and then a mako shark just jumps in up and eats your fish? Absolutely, you see that regularly. Absolutely, that's a common problem with with trying to get past barracuda, hooking a barracuda <laughs> by accident. You got you have to deal with a shark that's going right. to come eat the barracuda. That's right. You 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 were definitely in in the food chain. Yes, exactly. You yeah, know what yeah. Just I, a little bigger shark will come take you off the boat. The last time I saw, I would say it was about a seven or eight foot mako shark. The last time I saw a shark in Santa Barbara, I had I had put my rod down to help a friend, and a fish pulled my rod into the water, and it was a brand new reel. I jumped off the boat, swam down uh, after my reel. I could just see this little gold spool disappearing, and um, I came back, got on the boat, 
And about 10 minutes later, a Mako shark just started circling the boat. I was like, that's, that's the last. It looks like the, up close, it looked like the, the, the pit bull of sharks. And was that the fucker that ate your reel? Uh, no, no. It was, it ended up, there was a guy on the end of the boat who was throwing up the whole time. And his rod somehow. So he was sort of involuntarily chumming. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and he hooked my line and ended up catching my rod two hours later. So you got the rod back. Got the rod back with a mackerel on it. A Mac. <laughs> so, all right. So, you grew up partially in Trinidad till how old? Yeah, um, till I was thirteen. So, oh, so you like you went through a lot of stuff there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Is that where you 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 learned to love fishing? Um, you know what? Actually, I learned to love fishing in upstate New York. Yeah, yeah. Because my pops would drive us out from Queens or from Brooklyn to upstate New York on the weekends or every couple of weekends, take all the kids in the neighborhood when I was really young. So your dad was an engineer and a surveyor in Trinidad that yep. got a, did he get a full ride uh, no. at NYU or he didn't take it? My dad did not take the full ride at NYU. My dad just basically literally went from that to becoming a laborer. And he eventually worked his way up on, at, you know, working construction here right. to becoming like a foreman and a superintendent. But prior to that, my dad literally, he had this gripe you're like a black man will never be recognized for his skills in america <laughs> that's how we felt and but why didn't he take the college gig um i, I if i could if i could be 100 percent frank i believe that um you know a huge portion of my father's upbringing was in this weird way like this conditioning this in constant invalidating invalidation of you know of him and his abilities and as a result of that his insecurities overrode his his actual ability he didn't think he could cut it he didn't think it he didn't he always yeah you know yeah and um you know i definitely have adopted some of those you know hard those, not to yeah you have but, siblings um i have one younger brother yeah i mean he's my dad's got like 13 kids supposedly i've met five you know for five for like we're in, we're in trinidad in trinidad yeah i mean i imagine that shit stopped once he got stateside right yeah i mean you know <laughs> after yeah once he got stateside he had me and my, my he fell in love with my mom and he had my brother they met I, they met in uh brooklyn, new york brooklyn, brooklyn basement party yeah at brooklyn and your mom was a former beauty queen yep from trinidad yep so it all worked out yeah that's how she got here she won the trip to america to come compete in america and, and she didn't she didn't leave <laughs> no sir she got pregnant with me and that, and your dad was already a citizen. My dad was. Uh, I think they were both working on the citizenship. They're both about twenty three years old. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So where do you get time to have another twelve kids? Was but that it, after? That was before. Before. Yeah. It was before. So, but what from what fifteen up? You just. I got man. It's weird. I got siblings. I got siblings. <laughs> like I've met Donna, Debbie, Clint. I mean, these people like are we've hung a lot, and they're just a few years older than me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, my pops was a wild one, yeah. unfortunately. unfortunately. <laughs> Before you left Trinidad. Yeah, yes. And they're down there, all your siblings, your half-siblings? They're down there. <laughs> they are in Trini, in Trini. I go, I kick it with, I kick it with, Um, I used to kick it with Debbie. Debbie was one of my sisters, but I kick it with Donna a lot. Donna is the one that was closest to my pops. So, okay, so you grow up in uh, in New York City. Yeah. And what, what do you do? You, what, what's your interest when you're a kid? Um, when I was a kid, I mean, what, I, how'd you get to I, acting? I want to play professional baseball. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I want to be an oceanographer. So you want to get into baseball? Were you playing? Yeah, like playing little league, the whole deal. We had all. So it was a childhood fantasy. It, it wasn't like you were on the cusp. No, I moved to Texas when I was like, you know, I left Trinidad at thirteen, moved to Texas with your folks, with my dad. 
my my parents. It's a long story, but basically, my my parents separated when she found out about the twelve kids. Oh no 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 <laughs> no! She got pregnant because she found out about the kids. Got it. She was I'm like, gonna hold on. Oh, to this yeah, okay. Yeah yeah yeah. Oh 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 really? Because mm-hmm. my dad was like, we don't have to have children. I have thirteen children. <laughs> and my mom was like, a 20, oh, twenty three year old, twenty four year old. Like hell, you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was in, she insisted on getting um pregnant. And she told me this story about she couldn't get pregnant, and she found this thing. Uh, called Lydia Pinkham. Mm-hmm. And she said, I drank that Lydia Pinkham and I was pregnant instantly. And I thought, Mom, I got to research this thing now. And yeah. I researched it and it's the worst thing you could ever take for yourself. What is, what is it? Lydia Pinkham was like this kind of hoax. I mean, this kind of, it was basically a hoax back in the day that this woman sold, which was like a baby in a bottle. That was uh-huh. the logo. Uh-huh. That, was, that was the slogan. If you take this thing, you know, it helps you get pregnant. Uh-huh. Kind of like today, if a woman can't get pregnant, she can get acupuncture. There's all right. these holistic things she right. can do. Right. Lydia Pinkham kind of marketed herself that way back in the day, but it was just really, I read the ingredients and researched the ingredients in it. Woo! Was it nothing or was it bad? It was bad. Oh, really? Yeah, it was really tough on the liver. Stuff that was really tough on the liver. So, but she ended up having two kids. She ended and up then your, my, your parents split up. And then they split up when I was about uh, 12. Yeah, 12. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But you were you were okay with both of them? Were they okay with each other? Was it volatile? Was it, it, was, it did was. Did your dad kidnap you and take uh, you to Texas? I did the kidnapping, actually, believe it or not. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, what happened was, um, so my, I'm telling a lot, but my dad... <laughs> Uh, you know, my dad, he messed around. Well, clearly, he had an issue with right, that. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so my mother, who was this beauty queen and really sheltered, didn't really have any life skills. She thought she was going to live happily ever after with Prince Charming. Mm. And her method of retaliation... That was a lack of foresight, I have to say. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, uh, yo, this is funny as shit, but it's so true. Yeah. And, you know, anyway, so she kind of, um, her way of dealing with it, coping, was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, her and my dad went their separate ways, um, and she w- she left with a guy who I thought was a drug dealer at the time, mm-hmm. and and um, she she upped and basically disappeared. Mm-hmm. So you know, I kind of resented that. So she dis- She left. She got pissed at your old man, then and, and left. Yeah. And so my dad tracked her down. This is all within weeks. My dad tracks her down. Yeah. And um, when he tracked her down. Uh, she kidnapped my brother and I. Yeah. And when she kidnapped my brother and I, I was always closer to my mother, but because of the fact that she was with this guy who I thought was a drug dealer, I didn't want my younger brother, who was five years younger than me, in that environment. So I actually kidnapped my brother. At 12? Es- at 12 and escaped to, uh, we were in Hempstead, and managed to escape, managed to get in front of a guy named Detective Howie, you went to the cops. Um, well, I didn't go to the cops. We busted into a, 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 a dispatch. Yeah, they thought they thought we were robbing the place, and um, I told them what the situation was, and they called the cops. And I didn't, I didn't want to go with the cops either. They didn't trust cops. You're a young black man in New yeah. York. You don't trust right. cops. And I ended up sitting across from a guy named Detective Howie, and he really listened to me. Yeah. And he knew that I was trying to escape the precinct. He knew right. I was trying to get out of the precinct. Yeah. And so he really stopped, took a moment to assure me that, yo, I'm going to give you what you want. You just have to tell me what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, I explained to him what the situation was, but I didn't want to tell him my mom and tell her that she was with this guy who was a drug dealer. I didn't want to tell him that. Was he a drug dealer? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he, my mom was so naive. She's like, really? I didn't know. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, he was, all right. <laughs> I like I'd be walking down the street and just run into Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what up, Neil? <laughs> you know what, I'm what are you doing out here? Exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so 
I sat with De- Detective Howie, yeah. and and my dad had a friend who was a correctional officer, and they were able to track him down, and he actually, and then within like two a day, we had fled to the Caribbean. With your dad, with my dad, but your dad didn't know where you were. Your mom took you, and he didn't know where you were. He had no so, clue. so this was like you had to get out, find somebody going to find your dad. Yep. And then you went to Trinidad. You went to Trinidad, yeah. And you just hold up for a while. I was there. I was there from the age of twelve to thirteen. And then who the hell decided Texas? Well, my dad had already been going. He part of the reason he was able to have these affairs is because all this time he'd been working in Texas because construction was like a big thing. The oil was big in, in Texas. At so the time. he was uh, he was working on oil rigs. Yeah, or working like on oil rigs, building oil rigs. You know, they call them shutdowns, or mm-hmm. where they shut down an oil rig, or they or you know they start building one. You know. So he's working for one of them big companies that just does oil rigs. The Brown and Root, Exxon, all those different companies. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. As a foreman at that uh, time. No, but but back in those days, uh, just a pipe fitter. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a filthy hard job. It is a filthy hard job, man. My dad my dad put in work. I remember there'd be times, you know, I grew up in like, I, I, one of the blessings, and you're going to laugh at me saying is one of the blessings I had is living in a fucking trailer park. <laughs> I grew up in trailer parks. I li- in, in Texas, we lived in the projects and we lived in trailer parks. I got to see all different kinds of culture, especially being West Indian. Yeah. So you got the Trinidadian experience, yeah. which is multicultural. Five most spoken languages in Trinidad. Ready? Yeah. English, Bengali. French, Spanish, and Chinese. How many do you speak? Uh, I speak one, which is, <laughs> and I barely speak English. Yeah, you know, and I studied French for a long time, but I'm 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 not fluent in French at all. And gotta, I studied it for a long time. I have a knack for it. You really do. I lived in Paris. I lived in Paris, and I like I went to school at the European Language Foundation while I was there. Teachers refused to speak to me in English, and I I managed to get around. But once you're not there, once you're not running it all the time, you don't. Yeah. All right, so you go to Texas. So I, yeah, so I go to Texas. And, so you're um, living in the trailer park. Living in the trailer parks, you know, just kind of exposed me to uh, culture in ways that I hadn't thought about. Like what kind of culture? Good? Are you talking good or bad? Well, like, it was a different kind of racism. It was a different kind of... <laughs> trailer park racism? Yeah, it was different. And then and I realized, like, you know, it wasn't just us. Like, I always felt like, oh, you know, black people have it so bad. And yeah. then here I am, 13 years old, living in a trailer park, and I'm like, oh. White people, have, <laughs> they don't got it so good either. Oh, shit. So it's not, it's really, it's like, you know, it's poor everybody. People. It's poor people. It's right. everybody. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. And, you know, that was interesting. And Was there any bonding, though? Was there, there, was there, was there any sort of, like... That's an interesting idea. I never. I, I, I mean, I'd obviously thought that you know the idea of poor white people, poor black people, that there is a oppression and, and a, 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 a sort of contempt of the poor and a lot of race. That's something we don't talk about in America is class. All right. But was there a, any sort of unity around you know, the anger uh, of treatment of, of whites and blacks together? Um, you know what? The, the, we weren't intelligent enough. I don't think at the time. I don't think that people were. I think that. Well, what I picked up on was that in the being West Indian, yeah. right, and or even just being a Black American, being someone who was born—I'm the first American born in my family. Like what I had noticed amongst my people is that there was classism, there was there was racism according to complexion. So I was darker complected, so I couldn't get into a light skinned party. Really? You know, oh my God, it's hilarious. This is this is. I, I wish I was making this stuff up. A light skinned so, party. Yeah. How is that advertised? How, what's that invitation look like? Do they they give you the tone? Like if there's a party, well, you know what? Like if you <laughs> like like literally like oh I hate to say this, but you just weren't invited. You know. <laughs> Too black, yeah, or you couldn't get in because you, you know it's funny. It's, like, it's just I just realized that there was this oppression, this learned oppression that we had imposed upon ourselves, right? And 
not just in America, in the Caribbean, you know, in right. my black experience, that's what I experienced, yeah. you know? And then when I was in these trailer parks, I was like, oh shit, they do the same thing to each other. You know what I mean? The white people. The, yeah, they're yeah. classist, um, you know, they're classist with, you know, within themselves. And I'm yeah. like, but we all live in it. Oh, so you have a double wide trailer park. Yeah. So, oh, you have a double wide trailer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. So, all right, you know. Yeah, right. So it happens there too. Exactly. And the I'll, house on the hill is a double wide down the street. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Literally. Yeah. That's perfect. One. That's perfect. I got to, can I use that from sure. now on to explain this? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so I, you know, that was eye opening for me, but I don't think that we were, I don't think that everyone saw it that way. And, um, to communicate and identify with that, but we bonded over different things. We bonded over football and, yeah. you know, and and baseball and 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 music. and music and music. You know. So what what were you what what were your ambitions at this point? When did you start to to start to decide that you were going to express yourself artistically? Um, I was about seven or eight, and uh, uh, a dude that lived a few blocks away from me. I lived yeah. on Two Twenty Fourth and Merrick Boulevard, and a kid that lived there named Timmy got shot at the park. And we were all kind of mourning Timmy's passing. We were all sad. We were at my friend Eddie's house. And there was a guy named Mark who was a little older than all of us. And Mark said a rap. And he said, I heard a shot. I heard a cry. I said, Timmy, 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 did you have to die? You have to understand, as a six or seven-year-old, hearing that, um, I was like, oh, wait a minute. We can express ourselves like that? From that point forward, I was like, I'm going to be a rapper, period. And then <laughs> there, shortly thereafter, my dad came home with this record, Called Rapper's Delight, yeah. Sugar Hill Gang, yeah, and that was all she wrote. So you start doing some eight-year-old raps. Start doing some eight-year-old raps. I wrote, write raps for me and my brother. They were corny, like you know. Yeah. Well, I'm kid nice, and I'm sweeter than spice. And when I rap to the ladies, they melt like ice, because that was the style back then. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And um, uh, and that was the beginning of it but I kind of kept I was really uh, you know I was kind of like you know we were kind of like the bummy kids mm -hmm. in New York we were like the bummy kids but that didn't have much supervision Yeah. so I kind of kept that quiet you know what I mean Right. and maintained my reputation as being scrappy Yeah. which I was <laughs> and, but as opposed to someone who writes things well you know just opposed to someone who was um uh, extremely vocal, uh -huh. you know, and outgoing. So scrappy means like you know, those are those kids that they're what? what they don't they don't talk much. They don't have much supervision. Was it's, it's just ugly kids that didn't have much to lose. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I get into a fight with anybody because I have much to lose. You were a fighter. Um, I was. Yeah. When I was really young, I, that that was that was the way of expression. <laughs> really? Yeah. So you kicked some ass? I got kicked some ass and I got my ass kicked. <laughs> and my dad was the type of dude that'd be like, "Did you kick him in the face?" <laughs> <laughs> Did you kick him in the face? Okay, well, he don't respect you. The next time you see him, you kick him in the face. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. <laughs> right. You, you know, my dad was like very angry and unresolved and, you know, and so his he, his anger would manifest in violence, you know? Yeah. So and when, I, where, so you're in Texas. How long do you stay there? Um, I, I graduated. I, I graduated from high school and junior high in Texas and joined the military. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's a hell of a story. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. What military? Uh, Marine Corps. You joined the Marines? Joined the Marines, yeah. You went through all that? Is that why you're in good shape and you seem focused? Um, you know what? I have to say that the Marines definitely they gave they gave me some focus. <laughs> and it definitely you know what the Marines teach you? What? How to play the game without emotion. Uh-huh. And cuz I'm a very emotional person, I get I have convictions, I get I you know I get very emotionally invested in things. Yeah. Look, the Marines helped me. I got to make that really clear. Like I told them I wanted to, I had a chance at a record deal in California and I was a reserve. They stationed me in California so that I could pursue my dream. So, not knocking it, but just the military 
as a whole, when it really boils down to it, right? Yeah. You know, we follow the orders of like the elite point one percent. Sure. And when we're in these The real house on the hill. The real house on the hill. <laughs> yeah. And when we're in these places, you know, nobody looks at the I don't think anybody thinks of the White House as being real anymore. No. But you know, when you look at when you put, you know, nineteen year olds in these situations where they're tricked into believing they're doing something noble when in all actuality they're clearing the fields so that that elite point one percent can set up their oil rigs and extract well, natural resources. So your, your 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 dad was working. Yeah. For the same people that you were dying for. Exactly. Absolutely. That was the system. That was the system. That uh-huh. is the system. It's not was. So, when you, so you, you were able to join as a reservist? Well, yeah. I joined. I had to do boot camp. I had to do school of infantry. So, you know, I went and did the boot camp really. It's a trip. You know, a dude is telling you, you know, pick up your footlocker, which is it, all your belongings are in it. Run it all the way to the end of the barracks. Drop it. Run to the other end of the barrack. Touch the wall. Run back. <laughs> And uh, pick up your, your your footlocker and run it back to the other end and repeat that a hundred times. After a while, you just detach. I never forget. I first got to the military, right? For what? Just for what? Just because they just, want to? Well, you were in they trouble. decide you were scrappy. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, they do it to everybody. Like I, when I first got to the when I, we first got off the buses and we first showed up at boot camp, they had like three hundred of us in a room. And all the drill sergeants are sitting up on the table in front of us. Yeah, and they're joking with us. Hey, you know who 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 likes who eats pussy? Yeah. Who does this? Who does that? Yeah, and kids are raising their hand because the drill sergeants are joking with them. Yeah, and uh, this one guy I forgot his name. He raised his hand because you eat pussy, huh, Private? What's your name, Private? Said Private so and so. I said, okay, all right. You eat pussy. You eat that pussy till the booty and the head cave in, sir. Yes, sir. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And the kid starts joking with them. And they flipped on a dime, surrounded him, and I thought they were going to beat his ass. And they were like, you think it's for profit? You're making eye contact with me, profit? They were going in on him so hard. I was like, oh, I get the game. I get the game. They were seeing who's the smartest. Yeah, yeah, they set you up, you know what I mean? Yeah, to see who- For an opportunity to- Exactly. Who's got some uh, moxie. Exactly. So what I did was, from that point forward, I clicked. Yeah. I followed orders and did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just knew that it was temporary. Yeah. And, you know, I was always in first, second, or third. But you chose this. I chose it completely. But I I just didn't know how it went until I Why'd you choose it? Um, because I didn't really, all I knew was I wanted to be a rapper and mm-hmm. I didn't really have any other direction than that. So I thought that if I got my military time down, at least I would have the option for the GI Bill. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I'll have the GI Bill in place. I can always go in and use it towards getting a house, use it towards getting, you know, an education. Right. I didn't know the, that, you know, from the time that you signed up for the GI Bill, you actually extend your term. At the time, that's, that's what the deal was. So you were in for how long? Four years. So that was, and that's it? That was it. And you ended up what you went to boot camp. You went to I only did like infa- three what infantry I, training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was <laughs> yes, yeah, other thing you, you can choose any MOS you want, but I ended up being a grunt. O three eleven, and um, so I, I did I did boot camp, and then, then with the school of infantry, we call it we call it school of infantry back yeah, in the day, right? And that was on Camp Pendleton, and you know we just basically learned the drills. We learned hand to hand combat. We learned how to shoot. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Damn, back in them days, I was running a. I was running three miles through the woods, through the mountains in like 17, We're still in good shape, right? I, I, I'm decent, you know what I mean? I'm decent, but yeah. <laughs> I try to, it's really more eating than anything. Mm-hmm. Just avoid, I avoid sugar at all costs. So back to answer your first question of when did I start to use my voice was that when I moved to Texas, um, you know, living in trailer parks and whatnot, mm-hmm. I decided to be vocal about my rapping then. And I went from kind of like being like this bummy nerdy kid in Texas to kind of being like one of the ranger rappers because our school, 
mascot was a ranger uh-huh. and you know i became the ranger rapper at so a, one of the ranger rappers at my school so and doing it in front of the crowds at the sporting events over one? the intercom in front of the crowd you were the guy me and a couple i, got, I had a whole crew yeah uh-huh and then that that kind of gave me a voice that i didn't i never had before hip-hop gave me a voice and i was like oh shit yeah i can say anything i want you could write jokes you could be funny you could and you exactly know, and you i could push just, buttons i could push buttons all day and that's what i live for <laughs> pushing buttons that's right say it with a straight not face. in the marines though uh, no, nah, the Marines, they were, they were trying to push your buttons. <laughs> yeah. They literally, uh, if you saw a drill sergeant stand in front yeah. of if in front of a puddle, mm-hmm. don't flinch. Because mm-hmm. the minute they, they're going to they gonna seek out the weak one, yeah. they're going to be like, okay, you know, yeah. Private Marin, yeah. come here. Yeah. Come here, boy. Come here, boy. You are fucking me, Private. So, no, so. Now, you have to stand in front of him. That means you're standing in the puddle. Right. Drop, Private. Roll, Private. Roll right, Private. Roll left, Private. Get up, Private. Get out of my goddamn sight, Private. All full of mud. Yes, right. Just because what? Just because. <laughs> and that's how you learn to detach. That's how you learn so, to detach. So you learn to detach by saying, I want to be that guy. Well, I learned <laughs> to detach in the sense that I roll through the mud, crawl through it, you know, sleep on top of a king snake or whatever I had to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. In order to uh, in order to get the job done and so not make did, it personal. Did you go anywhere? Did, were you, did you fight? Um, did I? No, no, no. I got lucky. Um. You know, we had this 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 invasion where Saddam's invasion of Kuwait. Yeah, they started pulling our troops, mm-hmm. and we were like number twenty three. Yeah, <laughs> dudes started, dudes in our in our battalion started fleeing to like Canada and shit. It oh, was really? Funny. The reservists started bolting. Yeah, started bolting. Started getting girls pregnant. They were like, "Yeah, if you have a baby, you don't have to go." I was like, "What? What? Yeah, that yeah, doesn't seem right. I didn't seem right at all." And um, anyway, um, the, the, you know, Kuwait's surrender was so quick. You didn't go. Didn't have to go. And that was what? In, how many years in were you already? Mm, two years. And you were living in L.A.? I was living in Houston. I was stationed back in Houston. And then um, I said I wanted a rap career. And in 89, I packed up and moved to California. And you were still in? Still in. Third year. Third year. And it would literally, there's a base right over there, not too far from here. Yeah. There's an Air Force base over there by Stadium Way. That the Marines share with the, with the, with the Air Force, and I would go over there and do like paperwork and stuff for them, straight up. And that was that. That was your only requirement. That's my only requirement. Yeah, show up for work occasionally. That's it. So you come out. So what what were you doing in Houston? I went to school, junior high and high yeah. school in Baytown, Texas. So my goal was to go get my crew and move to California so that we could get a record deal. But they didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. They were like, we can we can do it right here in Houston. You yeah. Know? And it's true. There were like some budding rap groups like the Ghetto Boys, Royal Flush. Raheem, there was a record label called um, Rap a Lot Records. There was a dope dude named Action back in the day. And you knew all these Scarface. guys. I mean, we would rap with them at the um, or, or battle rap and stuff like that at this club called the Rhinestone Wrangler back in, in the Houston? day. In Houston, in Houston. And yeah. that, what was that like? Battle rapping? I, see, this is a world I don't know about. So you got uh, battle. You know, it's like you go, you go for the jugular. You, yeah. You, 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 you try to hurt people's feelings. The other that? guy. You you try to hurt the other. You try to just you try to you try to destroy their. So crew. it's not a collaborative community thing. It's more like the dozens amplified. It's the dozens amplified, but then you come together and you're like you know it's it, it's it, the game. It's the game. All right. I, I never forget this guy named Willie D. He said um, he had this thing where we used to wear these kung fu shoes all the time. Your guys. Yeah, and he had this <laughs> joke. <laughs> this dude said it should crack me up so much. He said. Uh, this motherfucker dressed like you know karate, head like a donkey in a German shepherd body. 
<laughs> the country is funniest shit I ever heard. That shit had me crying. So if, when when you do that, it's all improvised usually? A lot of times we just made it off from the top of our heads, but yeah. we would come with prepared raps too. Yeah. So you get to go in on them, like make some personal shit about them. So this was a whole night, so guys would be on stage together? Yeah, and we, yeah, we, we were too young to be in the club, so Big Steve, who owned the Rhinestone, would make us sit by the door yeah. until it was time to battle. Yeah. And then we got to go on stage and battle with the big dudes, you know. Oh, so, oh, we we were just so good. Yeah. He was like, I get these dudes, these dudes. And your kids too, which is cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're exactly. like, these youngsters are going to come in here and do this thing. Exactly. And you're waiting by the stage door? Waiting by the stage door. But we opened our mouths on stage. Yeah. It was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it was a problem. Like, like I never get, uh, I ain't going to say the rap group's name, wanting to beat our asses in the parking lot. And yeah. people were like, yo, man, they kids. He's like, yeah, but they talk like grown ups, nigga. You going to say some shit. <laughs> I never forget that shit. They talk yeah. like grown ups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't give a shit. <laughs> they whoop our asses. But uh, it was. But generally, it was. Uh, it was um, friendly. It was. Yeah, it was friendly. You know, I mean, and we had a community. Like it was a hip hop community. Ultimately, we did things for that community. Right. You know what I mean? And um, it was new in the sense that you know the South was kind of disregarded back in those days. Um, in hip hop, you know, the the, the West Coast uh, had their thing and the East Coast refused to acknowledge us. And at the time, they were kind of the conduit, you yeah. know. So, you know, in, in in its rebellion, the South started forming its own thing. Little J, who was um, who, who owned Rap A Lot of Records, you know, started yeah. this label. He started signing people like Action, who became Scarface, who became one of my favorite rappers of all time. Uh-huh. Um, the Ghetto Boys and all that. And they started getting this surge, you know. And now you got, you know... <clears throat> I remember I had the Ghetto's Boy, one of the Ghetto Boy albums, maybe the first time, just because that guy was so fascinating. Um, which one? Uh, the little guy. Oh, 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 Bushwick Bill. Yeah. You had the one. You had where the he's one. all fucked up on <laughs> the cover. <laughs> Mind playing tricks on the album. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know which album was. Yeah. The, the 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 action, the Scarface album that got me was that gunshots rang out. What the fuck? Heard this nigga bite the bullet. Like, damn, fucked him up. Um, 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 um. It was basically the soundtrack of Office Space. <laughs> Right, that right. Fucking, remember it starts yeah, out. He's yeah, in the yeah. car when he's saying that rap. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He's singing it, and then they pull up next to him. That album like, is my one of my favorites. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. I, that that might have been the, resur- the the Ghetto Boys Resurrection album actually, because they broke up. They had a guy named Big Mike join and take Scarface's place, and then Scarface eventually came back. When Scarface is in the group, he did, did he produces great music and he just says crazy shit. Yeah, yeah. and wait, so that was your dream, man. That was my dream. I lived my dream. And you, know. you, but you, what? So you, you're doing it in Houston with your guys, right? right. So, so I eventually got them to talk, got them to agree to move to California. So and, we, we, we finally got to California in '89, yeah, June of '89, and we got our record deal about a year later. What was the name of the of the? Our group was called the College Boys, uh-huh. and we signed to Virgin Records. Yeah, we had we were one hit wonders. We had a hit called Victim of the Ghetto, which happened to be happening at this exact same time as the riots, the Los Angeles riots. Right. So the Los Angeles riots kind of um, <clears throat> helped amplify, you right. know, because every news station that spoke about this riot nationwide yeah. also played our music in the background. Really? Yeah. So you got you got a, a hit off of Rodney King's demise. A hit off of Rodney King's rise and demise. Right. Yeah, you know, because Rodney King was big in the clubs for a minute. Yeah. After that, he'd show up in the club like he was, you know, like he was the man. Yeah, he was, and, but and he was a like, little beat up. Yeah. yeah. I, like, mean, I mean, he was obviously beat up in the horrible situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, as, no, as, yeah, as yeah. A, that's right. He was sort right. of a, uh, like, I, I don't know if he was, he was uh, you know, sadly, the position that he had culturally 
was a lot. You know, it was a heavy burden in a way. Right. You know, and, it was. It, you're right. It's, it's funny because I was so young and insensitive at the time yeah. that I was really angered by the situation because we had all experienced our things with cops, and um, you know, Rodney King was like, "Can't he?" I think his famous quote, "All get along,", I'll get along. Yeah. and. In my mind, I was actually thinking, like, no. I, I, I was angry. Yeah. I was angry. I'll just say that. And so, in retrospect, yeah, you know, he's aware of what he's done in his life. Mm-hmm. And he's aware of what his karma is. Mm-hmm. And if that was the perspective that he had at the time, the, the mature thing to do was to honor it. Right. You know? Right. I yeah, was, to be a spokesman exactly. of peace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to... to you know, it had two purposes. Yeah, exactly. It would have been great. It would have been great. That's fucked up. It would have been great if he said, fuck all you all. No, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, this is bullshit, but... It would have been even great if he had something profound to say. It would have been great. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, what is there to say at that moment? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you know, that there's a... I mean, at least for me at the time, was that there was a major imbalance, in the, you know, in, in the profiling. Yeah. You know, and that... Uh, there's this con- this convenient way of making young black Americans a scapegoat for the judicial system and for right. the prison system, at the, you know. And at the time, that was really obvious to me, you know. Yeah. And speak about the amount of tax dollars that go into it. And if if you're someone who isn't, you know, look, if, from my research, yeah, um, your birth certificate is basically a banknote that's handed over to the Federal Reserve anyway, right? Right. So ultimately, each person on average is worth about, and my numbers could be off, but about $750,000 in taxes over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, all the debt that 0.1% accrues, they pay them back by handing over these banknotes to the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. right? And if you become a non-taxpaying citizen, as far as America's concerned, well, we're going to get the taxes out of you by putting you in jail. And when you're in jail, we'll get $166, a, you know, $166 a day in tax money from the public to pay for your incarceration. I never heard about. I never heard it framed that way. That's well, a, that's well, a, leave it up to me to do some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I like it's it. A, you get yeah. you got a desire to break it down yeah. to its most simple yes uh, 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 definition. You have to. Your birth certificate's a banknote. If you ain't paying on that note, they're gonna put you in jail to make their money. Yeah. Bottom line. I mean, that's how it looks to me. And you know what? I'm not, look, that's, again, that's my, that's my interpretation of the information that I've collected. And I'm not saying it's a fact. What? It, that sounds like a good rap. Yeah, that that right? would be, like, yeah. The, I, I don't think about that, damn it. The, the idea that your birth certificate's a banknote for yeah. the Federal Reserve? Yeah. Yeah, that's man. that's that's fucking some cutting through the hypocrisy. That is some solid uh, a verse there. You know, see that that's that's what rap that's what rap does. So even if even it, you know, it's like even if you're wrong, mm-hmm. rap as I grew up in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because if you be, say it with enough confidence, exactly. people be like, it makes sense. Well, you, you you what you do is you 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 create dialogue around the subject and that's you right. get to the bottom of it. Right. You know what I mean? To a degree, history as we know it and what's really going on in actual politics as we know it in foreign affairs is all a mystery because the corporations are writing it, you know, conveniently. So, you know, it's great in my opinion to speculate and to like inspire people to like research and Well yeah, I've always I've said that uh, the American democracy is a money laundering front. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you break it down to its most basic form. (laughs) Thank you. That's what I mean, it's it's hilarious. Like when I see people, I, I I honestly like, you ever you ever date a girl, or has maybe a girl's ever dated you, mm-hmm. and you realize 
within five minutes of being in this person's presence that, oh man, this person has a lot of unresolved pain is completely out of touch with their own pain and right and you're like and you you get a, a sympathy in your heart for that person yeah after you feel the sympathy comes right after you feel attacked <laughs> <laughs> yes yes well that's that, that hurt that, that, exactly is that my fault that, exactly i don't think it is oh this chick's fucked up now oh, what do i do okay exactly and like that's how i feel when i hear people having like really heated debates over de- Democrats and Republicans yeah. going at it. There's a part of my heart that sincerely hurts for them because, you know, I Does mean, that part win over the fuck that. No, I don't. I, I don't participate in that. I okay. mean, look, because you do get to you do get to vote on. We get to vote on whether or not gay marriage is legal. We get to vote on things like, you know, these social issues. But as far as foreign affairs. Right. Do you think they're going to let the average layman Foreign affairs. Now, this is a huge conglomerate. No, I mean, we're, we're, they're, 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 going, they're, they're going back to Iraq. Exactly. No, they, they, they didn't ask me. Dude, dude, do you think, exactly, you think they're going to let us vote, us, the layman who doesn't even know what the petrodollar is, they're going to let us choose the CEO for that conglomerate for the next eight no, years? No, but see, but that's the whole problem now is that, you know, that there's such a, a an aggravated apathy once the reality has been shown to the people that do vote and even the people that don't vote that they're not working in our interest that they're all they're banking on is enough people are gonna when they go like how you doing they're gonna go like no i'm okay all right well most of the people say that and there's a couple of others on the fringe saying like this is fucked up yeah or the other guy saying like i ain't making enough money as long as those are relative minorities to the people that are disconnected and going like no i'm all right you know I'm, i'm i can you know i can eat and I don't give a shit about the rest of it. That's how. That's who it's driven by. Yeah, it's not driven by right or wrong. It's no, driven sure. by like who do I who's the who do I vote for? That guy seems like I like his hair. No. So they don't give a fuck. No, but no. but they don't represent anything but business interests. I, I completely. I mean, you know, don't be wrong. You know, um, uh, the last girl I dated, her, you know, her dad was a delegate, and you know, it really helped me. I would go in. I got to go in and see them vote on stuff. And I realized that when you go state to state, people care. They're, they're within the poli- communities within, in the in state yes. in the state government there yeah there but, are yeah thank god there are people that are showing up at the meetings exactly. they're showing they're taking yes. action like all the people that really give a shit they're, they they just that's what they do they don't look for attention yeah. they're not arguing with you know people on television grassroots you know uh organizations and also community based politics yeah. people that really give a shit those are the unsung heroes of of what really makes democracy great i always say when i make my movies and i'm the star of my movies mm-hmm. and i get to allocate tickets those are the people, those teachers that the students vote for and those people, those delegates, those people working on the ground, you know, in, in, on, on the ground level are the people that I'm bringing to my premiere and I'm showcasing it every opportunity that I get, whatever opportunity is, as shallow as it may sound, right. whatever way I can reward them, whatever way I can enhance and make their lives better or help them get acknowledged for what they're doing. That's what I, that, that's my goal. And back to what you were, the, the point that you were making is that, you know, if you look at, activists that are being effective yeah they don't even fuck with the white house no the white house is a waste of fucking time they go straight to the corporations they hit you in the pocket they know who the bosses are that's how you get shit done and let's just i don't know if you know this but like african americans are slated to spend like 1.1 trillion dollars by 2015 Mm -hmm. like they're spending money they respond to advertising and they They go to shows they go to they go to movies yep they're huge your movie did 30 million the first week thank you during the world cup mind you during the (laughs) freaking world cup so you know my point being is that if, if, if 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 people just acknowledged their purchasing power yeah and they were like you know what 
if we could collectively boycott. But that's why all these, this division is so put in place is that it's to prevent that. It's to prevent that type of unification. Saying, sure, okay, fight amongst yourself. Exactly, exactly. Divide Be- and conquer. Right, because if we were to do that, what we would then do is we could make, a, we could demand of these corporations, yo, we got all your damn, we got your iPads and shit. Why don't you come put some money in this school? In fact, we won't be buying your shit until you do. Yeah. And if we were able to do that, I understand, I understand enough to know that division, you know, uh, is, is important for, in order for like the higher ups to sustain. They, you have to divide. Keep them fighting over yeah. bullshit. Exactly. So, but if we were to do that, that's really you want to change. That's how right. you do it. You hit them in the pocket. Well, right. Well, okay. So, the, so now we're talking. You know, uh, Romney Malco, the activist. <laughs> I'm not an activist. No, but no, but I'm saying that you yeah. know, like you think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're rapping. So you had a voice. Yeah, I had a voice. And you had the one hit. Mm-hmm. And then how how does it go from there to 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 acting and, and to making that decision? Then well, after I had my rap career, I started doing jingles with my boy Nitro. Uh-huh. And uh, I was having such a blast doing jingles. I thought I'd never really go back to doing anything in hip hop. Jingles again. for what? Like short commercials, honeycomb commercials. Dude, I became like, dude, I, I'm not kidding you. We'd have like four jingles on the air at once. And that's a that's a good paycheck. Incredible. <laughs> we had a blast. Yeah. We had a And we were, and you know, rap was popular for these jingles back in the day. Yeah. So sometimes we'd make singing hooks, but sometimes singing jingles, sometimes we'd make like rap jingles, you know. And we would have a blast. <laughs> Me and Nitro, Night Diggy, giving a shout out to Darren Clowers right now. What up, man? <laughs> the Jingle um, Guys. The Jingle Guys. And um, so after that, um, I uh, started, I'm going to produce records. So I produced like CeCe Peniston and stuff like that. Um, not her big hit, but uh-huh. I did get to produce some stuff on CeCe Peniston. And I did some stuff with Randy Crawford. And then after that, I did, I started an internet business. And I'm telling you right now. Yeah. We are not going into this. I'm just going to say this. I started an internet business yeah. and that shit changed my life. 1997, I decide I'm selling stuff on the internet. I start selling shit on the internet and within three months, it's not a whole lot of money, but at the time it was, yeah. I was making more money in three months than I'd ever made as a rapper. Selling what? Health products that revolved around male health specifically okay so if you want boner to, pills boner pills if you wanted to get uh, uh increase your fertility herbal if you stuff. wanted like natural like okay. herbal stuff for like you want to gain muscle well, were you manufacturing this stuff or? i was not but i was getting private label deals uh-huh. uh-huh i was getting private label deals okay and um that, so were you using your image your picture like look at me hell no i, pr- I pretended <laughs> to be somebody else because i was like if they find out that a rapper is selling them this shit it's going if they find out that a black dude is behind this company we in trouble you right know what i mean so i did it i would i would pretend to be uh you know i would i would uh I would speak to everybody on the phone and just pretend to be a spokesperson for the company, but I would never make it seem like I owned it or that it was me. But it was your thing. It was my thing. And where, did, where the hell did that come from? Where the incentive for that? The inspiration? Why, why you, you rec- you're producing records, you're rapping, you're making jingles, you're going to sell herbal uh, boner pills. A, a, a comedian that you know who I'm not going to name okay. said she was going to be in a certain magazine. Okay. It turns out that when I went through the magazine, it was just her hands. Uh-huh. And she was holding a blurb in details magazine uh-huh. i read that blurb and it gave me the impression it, it just it like a light bulb i was like if i advertised on sports radio mm-hmm. i'd be hitting seven i'd be hitting 99 of my my demographic if i started you know doing things around male health and i couldn't let that go it just it, 
after that, it was all about. It was. <laughs> you just had an idea. It was an entrepreneurial idea. Absolutely. It had nothing to do with your creativity necessarily. It was just sort of like, I got to do this. Yes, because I've always been an aspiring. In, in in junior high, I sold candy. In junior high, I sold buttons. I'd make menudo buttons and new edition buttons and sell those. So you're always like a little, <laughs> always, a, a yeah. little entrepreneur guy. Always. I used to throw parties. By the time I got to high school, I was throwing the biggest parties in Baytown. Me and my boys were throwing huge parties. For money. For money. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so you had that going. You knew you yeah. wanted to make bank big. I knew I wanted to make bank at some point. And, Somehow. Um, Didn't matter. Did not really, to be quite frank, yeah. didn't, I wasn't going to sell drugs. Right. We sold a little weed. Right. But I did not feel good about that. <laughs> I did not feel good you about not that. Get, not, you can't set up a site for weed. Not then. No. Maybe now. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but even know, as dicey. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know what? It, it's funny, though. Like, you know. How long did you keep that site going? Um, that site went until about my first really decent acting gig. I would say that I kept it to 97 to about 2004. Wow. 2004. And it kept doing well. Oh yeah. Oh, it was, it was the funniest thing where I had an agent being like, you're going to have to choose because (laughs) you're making good money there. Yeah. If this links back to this. You know, and I started I started stepping away from the business. I got calls from Howard Stern. I used to be on Jonathan Brandmeier's show all the time. It was ridiculous. On the phone? No, a man live on on his radio station. For the male herbal stuff? Mm-hmm. On the radio, though. On the radio. So they still can connect you, but you're using a real name. Um, we, what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so when did the acting break come? How'd you get into that? I get a call from... Uh, you, you, George Stephanopoulos, right? You know yeah. George Stephanopoulos. His brother, Andrew Stephanopoulos, and I are pretty decent friends, yeah. right? And Andrew Stephanopoulos- How'd you always, meet that guy? Um, at Virgin Records, when I had gotten my record. When did deal. the Paris thing happen? The Paris thing, that was when I I, I shot a movie with Paul Rudd. And it Before was, the website? It was it was, it was was during the website. Okay. Shot a so movie. you going out for auditions, you had an agent? Oh, I didn't have an agent. I got into acting because John Leguizamo heard some stuff that I had done for Paula Abdul's animated cat, yeah. And he was like, I want to rap like that for my movie called The Pest. Yeah. And I want to say that this was around the time that my business was doing decent. So it might be 98, 99. Yeah. And so I started writing this stuff for John Leguizamo and we started hanging out. And his wife at the time was named Yelba. Yelba. And she was like, Rom, we hang out with comedians. You're one of the funniest people we ever met. And I wasn't trying to be funny. Yeah. So it was an, it was an insult. I yeah. never thought of myself as funny. Right. But John was like, you mind auditioning for this movie? And I was like, fuck it. I give it a shot. So he couldn't be there because he was off filming Romeo and Juliet. So I would audition for the casting agent, Wendy Kurtzman, and the director. They called me back six times. They called me back for a mixed match session. Yeah. I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brother from Mad TV, um, who was Ari also Spears. in Jerry Maguire. Ari Spears, my bad. So I didn't get the role. Didn't trip. Went about my business. Back to my internet business. I was traveling all over. Traveling to Japan, Italy. My business afforded me luxuries I didn't have before. I had a beautiful girlfriend. We were doing everything we could, right? Yeah. And she was really smart. She's like, "Oh, let's go to the Galapagos." Yeah. Okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, about a year goes by, and I'm getting calls from all over the place, and I'm paranoid now. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And it turns out that it was just a, basically a bunch of um. You know, my girl was like calling me and saying, "You getting? We're getting faxes from these people. They tracked you down through the music industry." And I'm like, "About what?" I'm like, "Why the fuck are you telling people my shit? Why are you giving them my fax number? You don't know who this is." I'm thinking it could be the cops or some yeah, shit, yeah. right? And um, it was basically casting agents in Hollywood. Casting agents in Hollywood. Wendy Kurtzman had told them that I was her favorite audition of all time, and it was pilot season. 
So the word had gotten out and they'd all wanted me to come in and audition for stuff. So I went in and ended up testing for a couple of things and they were like, and then agents started saying they wanted to represent me. And so I just listened to all the messages. I had like, I don't know, 30 messages from all these people. And there was just one lady named Lisa DeSante who sounded really nice yeah. and sincere. Yeah. And I, I, she's the only person that I called back. I went and sat with her, had a checkbook in my pocket. At the end of it, I was like, how much is it going to be? And she's like, no, baby, I get you checks. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> what do I wrote this to? You're looking at this, this Italian chick. She looking at me. I'm talking about how much. We sat in the office for like three hours. Yeah. And she was like, uh, no, I, no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I pay you. I'm yeah. going to get you paid. And then that was it. And I started acting from there. Did you stay with her? Um, I stayed with her forever. But um, there came a point where, um, you know, Lisa DeSante has a huge temper. Mm-hmm. And it, her temper was- Is she a, a solo shop? Or she worked for somebody? She, she does. Um, she, well, now, well, she's a manager now. She's all established and rocking now. Right. But at the time, I went, you know, I, I tried to stay with her best as I could. But um, to justify my move from Lisa DeSante, I would just say that um, I had a, a, a manager and I had Lisa DeSante as my agent. Lisa DeSante was sending me out for the role to play Tupac in this MC Hammer story. Yeah. And my management called her and said, don't do that. And she was like, why not? She's like, because he should be the lead. And they had an argument. Yeah. And I ended up booking the lead. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I didn't even think of myself as the lead. Yeah. Maybe I need to be in the company of people who think of me as the lead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> what and was so, that movie called? So, um, it was called Too Legit, the MC Hammer Story. It was a VH1 movie. Oh, okay. So, all right. So, you did a lot of little stuff. Did a lot of bit parts. There were funny bit parts, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, some were funny and some were straight. I, one of them was a drama. A level. A sh- my first show was called Level 9. And after I booked enough TV, I booked a lot of commercials first. And yeah. then after I booked commercials, I started booking a lot of TV. And then after I started booking a lot of TV, I worked my way up to getting a TV show. And then after a TV show, I started working my way up to getting small roles in movies and then eventually worked up to being a significant player in a movie. But what happened is around, I want to say around 2000, my one of my best friends, his name is Jesse Peretz, who I had met through my girlfriend. My girlfriend's bigger sister booked me in my first commercial yeah. <laughs> at the time. Um, and uh, I met a guy named Jesse Peretz. And Jesse Parrots and I became best friends over the weirdest thing. I made this thing called mango chow, which is a common dish you eat in the Caribbean. He ate it. He was the director on a commercial. He ate it and goes, I was doing craft service with my buddy Josh, who was the the ex-boyfriend of my current girlfriend. You were working craft service? (laughs) Craft service with my boy Josh. Yeah. And he was like, um, this is before I started my company. Right. And... I met Jesse yeah. and Jesse tasted my mango chow and was like, I used to eat this. My Trinidadian babysitter used to make this. This is a Jewish guy telling yeah, me yeah, this. Yeah. And then he starts imitating the Trinidadian accent. We were best friends from that point forward. <laughs> Still? Still. Mm-hmm. And he ended up, you know, he ended up directing this movie and he wanted to cast people for the movie. So he had this guy named, named Ross Broccoli who was really funny. I know Ross Broccoli. Ross Broccoli's fucking funny as He's shit. He's in Nebraska. Ross, I, Ross was a guy, one of my guys back in the day. Yeah, I gave Ross a place to stay one time, and this motherfucker wakes up in the middle of the night and goes through my closet. Yeah, was was he in his sleep? He or? was sleeping. <laughs> Opens the front. When stop. was this? When were you hanging out with Ross Broccoli? Ross Broccoli, two thousand. 
1999, 2000. Is it right? That was back when I knew him. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little bit. He had a little falling out, but I mean, he ended up going and he did some commercials. He stashed the money. He went and he bought a farm. He goes to Nebraska. Good for Ross. Good for Ross. He was an interesting guy. He really, really was. See, yeah. he, he's the kind of guy that you would find me hanging out with yeah. unintentionally. You know and what I'm then, saying? Yeah. And what's the director's name? Parrots? Jesse Parrots. He's pretty much the producer. He's a producer on Girls. Uh, does a lot of Nurse Jackie. Um, oh, I think I just met this guy he, because I just did a, a part in Girls. Yeah, yeah. A couple weeks ago. You met him. He's your best friend? Yeah, man. That's my, that's my brother. Jesse, God damn. Small world. <laughs> Jesse Parrots is my brother. Yeah, I did. he introduced himself to me. I oh, okay, it's all making sense. Ross Broccoli, you, yeah, everybody's connected. Yep, exactly. So, you know, what movie did he put you in? A movie called The Chateau. Okay, I begged him not to put me in it. <laughs> so we said, okay, well then just help me cast it. Uh huh. Because I wasn't really an actor at the time. Mm -hmm. So I did. I helped him cast it. And um, after I helped him cast it, um, he asked me to play a small role, and so he put me on camera for it. Carried it back to his producers, and the producers were like. Why can't Romney be Paul Rudd's brother? And I was like, Jesse, your first move, first love, last rights was not a success. Yeah. If you want to fail again, <laughs> put me in your movie. Do not do this to your career. I beg you. Yeah. And um, they insisted, and we ended up doing that movie, and it pretty much changed our careers. Oh, I don't. Was it a good movie? It was a great movie. I mean, it was like a really independent movie, and it was aesthetically, it was horrible because we. This shot was the Paris thing. It was the thing in Paris. Yeah. And, and you and Paul still friends? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we shot that for like 13 days. Yeah. We shot it for 13 days, and I just never left. I was like, I'm staying. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> like, How long did you stay? Uh, about six months. Uh-huh. I had to come home. Yeah. You know, but um, I just didn't want to leave. So you made, so by that point, you're shifting out of the, the boner pills. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm going strong. I'm going strong on boner pills at this point. <laughs> boner pills is what's funding me in paris did they work um yeah man yeah oh dude well you know it's so funny like it's so funny like I've, I've been so blessed because growing up in west indian culture yeah if you had a problem there was a natural remedy for this thing yeah and so this whole pharmaceutical culture was pretty foreign yeah in my family uh-huh and um you know it's it, it it's like even to this day, uh -huh. if people tell me they have a problem with whatever, yeah. there's a natural solution to uh -huh, it, uh -huh, you know. Uh -huh. And you know, so even to this day, it, it was such a, everything that my dad cooked when I was a kid. Drink this. This is good. For, this this is good for the tool. Yeah, for the tool. <laughs> Eat this. This is good for the tool. Everything was good for the damn tool. So <laughs> of course, I started a fucking business that was good for the tool. <laughs> what anyway. were the herbs? Um, um, Just asking for a friend. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> Now, you know, there's things like Garana and um, I got I, I can dig that stuff up and I can I, I can promise you I can point your guys in the right direction for the tool for the tool help for the everything tool. good for the tool man take that that good for the tool <laughs> all that good for the tool I still ain't answered your damn question but the but the, the, the point is sorry the point is is that I um did this movie with Jesse Parrots and the next thing you know people were asking me to be in other movies. And but but the big break that everyone knows you for, and which I I you first sort of hit me was uh, as Jay and forty year old virgin. Yeah, Judd Apatow. He asked me to be in his movie because he saw me in the chateau. Yeah, and that was a funny part. Yeah, I got and that I, sort of defined you comedically. It did. It did. I was like, uh, you know, I was new to the business. I was new to the. I didn't have a click. I didn't grow yeah. up and I, I didn't start acting until I was thirty. Yeah. So I was new to the whole game. I didn't yeah. have a click, and to be pulled in by Judd Apatow and like introduced to all these guys and just. Do yourself. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. I was like, seriously? <laughs> wait, wait. That's what you were doing? I, I feel like the most common question in my life is, yeah. 
wait a minute, I can say what I want? Yeah. <laughs> in everything, I can be in an interview, it can be, I can be dating someone, wait, I can, I can just, just say what I want? I can be rapping, I can say yeah, what I want? Yeah. Um, and um, Judd, you know, Judd was like really funny, he had great jokes, and like, like I never forget it, we were doing the first, with one of the earlier scenes where we're discovering that he's a virgin, Yeah. and uh, and I was saying, that's, you know, it's cool if you're gay, yeah. you know, I got friends that's gay, and Judd yells, in jail! Yeah. I lost my shit. I must have chipped my tooth on that damn table. I lost my shit. Just to be around a guy who was so creative and fresh. Yeah. You know, four days into our production, the production got shut down by the studio because they thought, you know what? Uh, he, you've already shot in half the movie and we haven't approved the look. Mm -hmm. But just the judge was covering so much footage because we were playing so much. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And he was so seasoned by yeah. that time yeah. that he was like, no problem. Sent us all home, came back Monday and went back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Judd was great. I guess that's a, that's the, the 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 real skill of a great producer is just sort of like keep your cool mm -hmm. and like all right, we'll work this out. Him and Shauna Roberts had no facial expression. Oh really? Oh yeah. yeah. So, like, okay, cool. All right, cool. All right, guys. So see you on Monday. Yeah. No, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. So you don't want me to come back tomorrow? We'll right. let you know. So you do a few other roles, and then then you do the Love Guru. Yep. That there that was a you look if you look at every job that I've been involved in. 40 year Virgin, Baby Mama, Blades of Glory, Weeds. Yeah. I wanted to get next to the people that I, I was Weeds. That was great, right? It was incredible. Mary Louise Parker is my sensei. She would yeah. kick my ass and I thank her at the end of every day. What do you mean she kicked your ass? Um, She didn't She didn't fuck around, you know. You were she, on that for what, a few seasons, right? Yeah, Mary Louise Parker would punch you in the face. She's a hell of an actress. She's that, she was my sensei. Deep. Deep. And like, she really taught me. Well, first of all, my acting coach is who taught me. Yeah. Sandy Marshall flipped the script broke me down I used to laugh I'd be, be in the pews laughing to people yeah. on stage crying like yeah. these actor types yeah 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 never considered myself one of them yeah. until I ended up crying on that stage she was your boot camp that oh. was your boot camp it was my your boot acting, camp and from that point forward I knew she I knew made every, you roll around in the puddle she, exactly exactly <laughs> she made it clear that everyone could see the through my facade the emotional puddle yeah there you go yeah man I was time I was, for you to meet you I, exactly that's what she did <laughs> I'm like this shit is therapy yeah. I didn't sign up for no damn therapy yeah you know but yeah, S Sandy Marshall, she gave me free class. She, she just made me stay after class one day. She's like, I'm going to tell you something. She goes, I think you're talented. And of all my students, I really believe that you could go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you free classes because I don't think that people give you things very often. And all you have to do is show up. That's what I did. I showed up. So you were a challenge. She was gonna break you. She was gonna make you what you are. Yeah, and she really did. She, I, I never forget, man. I was like, you're right. I was rolling around in my own puddle, my own tears. <laughs> I was like, ain't this some shit? It just you suddenly realize that everyone can see you. Yeah, they can see through your bullshit. Even, they just yeah, tolerate you. That's right. Yeah, and and the good friends, they just they, they don't tell you. They just talk. They keep tolerating you. But a lot of yeah. people are like, I'm done with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't know that. But so, they know the better part of you. Right. Exactly. But I'm I was so charming and entertaining. Yeah. That it was at it was really everyone else's entertainment at my expense, and I didn't realize that either. Because you thought you were getting away with something. Yes, like and she just completely exposed me and I was like uh and that from that point forward I actually began to take it more seriously take it but seriously like when so, with something like the love guru which was you know I I mean notorious tank mm -hmm. does that affect the the your 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 jobs you know what it for me it didn't because yeah. in, in fact it got me jobs yeah. but also the shit that I learned from Mike Myers changed the game for me how what was that well just everything like he taught me the I was things I did naturally he yeah. suddenly made me aware of like right. 
I didn't know what memes were. Right. And I didn't know that I was creating memes in my career. As, right. You know, you know, in 40-year-old version, I created all these memes. Right. I didn't know that shit. I didn't well, It's underst- hard to know until it becomes one. I mean, it, it, yeah. there, it's a rare person that does intentional memes. Right. But it was it, it was a year. It was years after the fact. And right. everywhere that I went with my mom, people were like, don't put the pussy on the pedestal. And, yeah, you know, and, right. you know, I didn't know that those were memes. Right. I didn't understand that they were that. I didn't know about color association. Right. So th- there's a color scheme and you can create certain color schemes that people will automatically associate with your movies consciously or subconsciously no fucking clue about that stuff I had no idea this dude Mike Myers is so fucking deep and smart yeah seriously speaking like it was another situation like being with Mary Louise Parker where right. you were where if you didn't sit and take note let them slap you in the face you were an asshole right because there was so much to learn and you learned a lot about comedy a lot about marketing comedy but you'd already sort of done your own marketing thing I mean you had an instinct for it I did but he showed me how to systemize it like he had a trailer yeah one trailer with just a wall full of pictures and colors and like a wall yeah not a wall the entire trailer yeah it's like if you didn't know it was his you'd be like Oh shit! Somebody's getting murdered. But it's weird because that movie didn't, you know, no. with all his memeing and colors. Yeah, well, there, there was a couple of things that happened. One of the things that happened was that, um, you know, there was a huge, there was a great script in the beginning. Yeah. And um, because of the fact that, how can I say this? There was so much pressure to deliver. Right. That the, everything lost its essence. Right. Because people started micromanaging everything. Right. And all the fun went out of it. Right. Um, another thing was, I think that the director, who is actually a good guy, he just was inexperienced. He got steamrolled over. Oh, right. And then lastly, there was this huge smear campaign that occurred at the release of the movie where people started coming out and speaking out, being vocal about Mike Myers and speaking out against them. Right. Like a four page spread in News Weekly in, in Newsweek. Why was that? I don't remember. I think that what I, I think that, you know, supposedly there there was this history of bad blood between him and a few people that he had worked with. Uh-huh. Um I really yeah. try to not stay, <laughs> stay as far out of that shit yeah, as possible yeah. because for me, I got to work with a genius and it has I've never been an actor who's been like, oh, you have to strike when the iron's hot. I yeah. don't believe in that. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, you know, I, I really have to do it my way and it's probably to my demise. And then the other part of it is that I've gained so much uh, artistic integrity from being in the presence of people like him and Mary Louise Parker, you know, that it was worth every penny for me. I don't really care if a movie, I get everything I'm going to get out of the movie while we're making the movie. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I don't look and go, oh, our movie's going to do 30 million this weekend. That's not me. But it did. It did. <laughs> you had something to do with it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, it's true. I know. And Kevin's a great guy. Dude. You know, it's like, you know, I never, like, I've had him in here, and it's just like, the guy fought the fight, you know, yeah. came out on top. He's incredibly grateful. Yep. He's generous. Yep. You incredibly. know, I mean, you know, I, I, about, it's got to be about 80% of, uh, of his success because he's got a good heart. And he does the right thing by people. He really does. He does the right thing by people. I'm doing my own movie now. He signed on to play a role in it. Uh-huh. Like, he just, he's that dude. Yeah. He's like, man, I owe you rum. I got you. How many days do you need? The busiest man in Hollywood. Yeah. Gotta be one of the busiest comedians in Hollywood. Yeah. I owe you. How many days do you need? When he said that to me, it took me at least four minutes to respond because I couldn't, I, wait, you, wait, what, 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 my movie? My movie? You sure? Because, hey, I was literally doing that for like four minutes. Yeah. You know? 
He is a generous guy, man. What, now, this is interesting because we talked a little earlier about you know, the, the movies you want to make. Now, this is your movie. Now, yes. we talked earlier about you know, some, of the, some of the things that you want to give back mm-hmm. to the community. Absolutely. Is this a, a, one of those projects? This is one of those projects where it's like, you know, for me, um, the, the, the situation is that um, in, the, in the world of Hollywood, you, they tend to make you either or. Yeah. So um, you're either uh, this or you're that. So my experience growing with you're either an angel or the devil right you're either a whore or a virgin a very binary way of thinking sure and so i have a problem with that because i've grown up with people who were heavily flawed with the best of intentions and gave the best advice they knew how yeah and these people aren't depicted in film anymore yeah you're either one or the other the right. film that i grew up films that i grew up watching that was that so if it, one of my favorite films of all time ever since i was a kid was one flew over the cuckoo's nest sure now you could look at jack's character on a lot of different levels yeah. You can look at him as crazy. You can look at him as rebellious and obnoxious. You can look at him as a hero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Leading the frontier or pi- pioneering the frontier. You can look at a lot of those characters in a lot of different ways. And I love that where you're actually engaging the gray area. And I feel like in, with the dumbing down of a lot of film, because of the fact that we're not even making film for, for an American, we're making film for non-English speaking people. Right. They have the, you, if you go to France, they have some of the most sophisticated films that you've ever seen. Yeah. But if we're trying to make a movie that gets, that you know, that's accepted over there, we got to have explosions and, and shit. And, exactly. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't know the intricacies and the idioms that's of their culture. The international market has made it, broken it down to the lowest common denominator. Well, only because we work, we're, we're catering to, in my opinion, some of the most sophisticated films I've ever seen have been made in the international market. Uh-huh. My personal taste. Sure. You know, um, but at the same time, when we're raising all our money to make our movies, we're raising the money overseas, 90% of it. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to say this for those who aren't aware. I'm just going to make, I, it's, I'm speaking the obvious here, but just for those who aren't aware. The way that it works these days is this. If a comedy costs more than $30 million, it's probably not getting made. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else... If you're going to make a film, you're usually going to want to make it in the $100 million and up range, which is basically you're making four quadrant movies at that point where it appeals to the broadest audience possible. I think Michael Igor or something like that made that announcement when uh, uh, the proposal was so successful. They said we'd make another one. He was like, no, we're not making a follow up. I don't care if it made $140 million because it's going to cost us $70 million to make it. And by the time we spend that $70 million and we do the P&A budget, we're not going to recoup on that. Mm-hmm. So if a comedy isn't under $30 million, we ain't making it. Mm-hmm. I think it was Michael. He was the guy who said that shit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So now everyone's jumping on, the, on that bandwagon to try to keep the comedies. But the thing is, is that comedies, like you think of Woody Allen and whatnot, they were very specific to our culture. Right. And so uh, that type of stuff... These days doesn't translate as well overseas, right? You know, so you're making it for a niche market, so you got to keep it like at a million, two million, exactly. So what happened with so what's happening with um with film these days is ninety percent of the money's being raised in in foreign markets, right? So we're here in America trying to make money, but but in order to get that money, you have to put people in your film that 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 sell overseas, right? So in order to do that, you now have to make a movie that appeals to that market. Yeah. And if you're an American making that movie and you're hoping to get some type of domestic gross, you're really kind of making a movie for non-English speaking people. And as a result of that, you're going to go for the explosions. But OK, so so you've 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 put together money yeah. that you got uh, domestically domestically and, and you've got Kevin Hart committed to it. Yeah. And it's about it's a story of a flawed protagonist yes exactly and and uh and you hope that it'll speak to to who ultimately what i want to do is it's a comedy i i want to exactly it's a it's a dark comedy you wrote it i wrote it myself been writing it for a while and what what i want to do is i basically want to start 
reintroducing the idea of the gray area in a movie. Yeah, no, I think you know? it, well, the 70s did that, and then we kind of lost it. I mean, Cuckoo's Nest is a good example of that, but yes. a lot of those movies where you have an anti-hero or, or, or someone you don't know how to feel about. Exactly. Because they don't have all the heroic attributes. Yes, Cable did it so well with, yeah. with Breaking Bad and, oh, yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and yeah. Damages. Yeah. Oh my God, I didn't know if Glenn Close was the good guy or the bad guy. Yeah, I, yeah. What, what is she doing? Even The Sopranos. The I mean, Sopranos. Learn to love that family. Thank you, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm working toward introducing that and just basically passing on a message in the movie which is about uh, how many of us are actually out there asking people to make sacrifices for us that we're not willing to make for ourselves. Mm. And it's also about letting go. Mm-hmm. It's about letting go of the things. And where are we in production? Of this? Where are we in production on this? We are in, we are literally just closing up, the, we're closing up the our, the deals right this second. This week, we will have closed the deals with our attached talent. That sounds great, man. It is. It is. It, it's a great opportunity for me because I don't know why. You know, I, I. You know, I think I was a lot angrier before in in my younger years, but I never really got the calls that I thought I would get. I never really got invited to play with a lot of these. Yeah. You know, other movies that had had occurred. I never really was. I, I didn't start being asked to be a lead until recently, like over the last year and a half. How old are you? I'm um, 45. And so, you know, and you I was look like, good though. You look, you look 35. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you, dude. You know, <laughs> that's Trinidad. Oh, that's Trinidad. And you got to <laughs> avoid sugar. Okay. Bread, rice, pasta, all that shit is sugar. I don't care what you say. If it creates an insulin spike, it's sugar. And that's going to make you old. Yeah. Well, what happens is, is like, you know, your cells become resistant because wow. it doesn't want to be poisoned by the insulin. Yeah. And then, you know, it's called AGE is the process where that where all these remnants of sugar attach themselves to the to, you know to the your cells and, yeah. and, and you know the walls of your cells and then as a result of that you lose the elasticity in them and oh, you boy. know so I'm telling you I stopped eating sugar for for five years no more cake no more ice cream no no you know in moderation but okay. the thing is, is that what we don't realize is that we're living extreme yeah and then we want to go from extreme to moderate no 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 no, no, no. You got to go from one extreme to the next, yeah. and then you got to work your way back to moderate. All right. Well, tell me about, before we go, tell me about Tijuana Jackson. Oh, Tijuana Jackson. He's an ex-convict turned motivational speaker that I created, and you know, Mike Myers really helped influence that as well. I've been doing him for like 13 years. Doing but him where? Doing him. I just doing him for my friends. Oh, and okay. then a few years ago, I put him on the internet, and that was all she wrote. Yeah. And um, you know, he's like, he's this dude who is flawed again the gray area he's heavily flawed yeah. he'll be smoking a cigarette and preaching about health at the same time sure yeah and he's got these interesting quotes where he's like you know uh he's like life coach with a goon hand you yeah. know and he'll be like you know uh life 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 is like a vending machine you know what i'm saying it's full of change you know that type of shit he thinks he's, he's really proud of himself you know what i mean early bird early bird gets the worm early hawk get to eat both them bitches heard me <laughs> <laughs> so that's on youtube it's on youtube you look up tijuana jackson and if you are not entertained my name is not romany malco it was um, great talking to you man yeah you too man you thank you for having me about it? I, yeah I, i'm a he, hey man i'm a big fan of i know you ran into you on the plane and i geeked the fuck out yeah you're right like, oh, we're gonna do it <laughs> yeah i geeked out a little bit um you've had some great interviews on here man oh, thanks is, yeah. now so is your pop still alive uh, my dad passed away in 2008. And your mom? My mom is still alive. I just I just went to go see her. I just got back yesterday. I flew back for this interview. Was your pop able to see some of your success? Or? My dad was. My dad came with me to the premiere of 40-Year-Old Virgin. Funny shit. 
Funny shit. So my dad comes with me to the premiere of 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah. You know Jerry Bednob? Yes. The guy who yeah. played the Indian sure, guy? That I know him for with? years, yeah. He looks at my dad, and my dad looks at him, and they, what the fuck you doing here, boy? Turns out that they knew each other. From <laughs> Trinidad? Dad. Get out of here. Yeah, that was, that was great. We had that's a great night. Out, that's hilarious. <laughs> my dad got, him and my dad got shit-faced that night. It was oh, great. well, yeah. that's sweet, man. Well, thanks for talking, and good luck with everything. I'm glad everything's going so well. Man, thank you very much, man. Hit a boy up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the fuck. Great talk, right? Was I lying? Was I lying? I was not. And uh, since I last talked to you, my jeans are a little more broken in. Uh, I imagine that my junk is healing. And uh, I'm sharing too much. I'm sharing too much. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTFPod needs. Check the schedule. Get that app for free. Upgrade to the premium. You can stream all 400 episodes. Uh, I haven't seen Death Black Cat in a few days, but I don't know. Maybe he'll check in. Everything's all right. As I said, I am in Bloomington, Indiana tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday. And if you have any questions, uh, you know, let me know. Okay. Boomer lives!